What happened between the Testaments? The Old Testament is the story of the people of Israel, and the New Testament is the story of Jesus and his followers. And in the, the history of the people of Israel, we, we see that the people of Israel, they get conquered, and you know they get, they get taken from their homeland for the most part, and then eventually they get to go back, they get to rebuild their temple, and, and things are kind of starting to progress to the people of Israel having their own country again, having their own people again, not being ruled over by anybody. And then the Old Testament ends, and then 430-some years later, we get the New Testament, and the people of Israel are underneath an oppressive government again, and they're being overruled by a much stronger empire. What happened? How did the people of Israel go from kicking off an oppressive government to being underneath another one? Welcome to Rex's Bible Man. This is a weekly video where I talk about uh, Christianity, the Bible, Jesus, anything kind of related to that. Uh, and this week, I'm kind of continuing my history theme. Sorry for you guys who don't like history, but this is week three of kind of my tour through history, where I point out historical uh, facts about the Bible. Uh, and this week, we're going to be talking about the Hellenists. How did a group of Jews become Greek? Uh, and you might not think that re is very relevant to your Bible, but if you actually read the book of Acts, specifically Acts uh, 6, verse 1, it says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. The Hellenists is something that you probably ought to know because it had an impact within the church. This is kind of like the first division that happened within within church history. And so what I want to do today is I want to look at how the people of, of Israel went from finally get reclaiming their homeland uh, under the Persian Empire because they were conquered by the, the Babylonian Empire, then the Persians conquered them, and the Persians were much more tolerant, and they let the people of Israel go back and rebuild their temple. They had that, they had their own place again, but then we, we, we come into the New Testament and we see that Rome has conquered the nation of Israel and has them underneath these puppet kings. But really, that's the second empire to conquer the people of Israel since, uh, since the Persians. So who, 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 who conquered them? What happened? How do we get to Hellenists? How, how do we get to this place uh, that God chose for Jesus to be born in. Because that's really what we're talking about. We're talking about the time in history when God chose to come into the world himself in the person of Jesus. And so if that's something that you, you don't really know a lot about, maybe you never studied the in-between the Testaments period, stick around because this might, this might be an interesting time for you. You're going to recognize some of these names from history or even a few movies. So to understand how the nation of Israel came to be conquered by Rome, you have to understand the history of Macedon. Um, and again, I always have to preface these videos. We're talking, uh, we're using words and names from other languages, and I have to apologize for my terrible mispronunciations. Uh, but our story begins with Philip II of Macedon. He was the king of this, this the country of Macedon, or the city-state of Macedon. Um, and it's actually the northeast part of Greece. Actually, to be more correct, it's actually not part of Greece. See, Greece was uh, the, the famous city-states of, of classical history, and that's, that's cities like Athens, uh, Thessalonica, Sparta, uh, these city-states that, that we all come to know if you've ever studied Greek culture and Greek history or even Greek mythology. Um, Macedon was kind of like uh, an amalgamation of, of Greek culture, but typical kingdom structure. 
See, city-states, w- with a few exceptions in, in Greece, they, they ascribe to democracy. You know, it's, it's the birthplace of democracy where everybody gets a vote in government as long as you fit the, the class of people that got their votes, okay? Um, some were much more, more liberal with, with who got to vote and some were a lot more restrictive, um, especially if you look at Sparta. But they all kind of had that principle of democracy, uh, of, of governance by the masses, um, Macedon didn't do that. Macedon had Greek culture. They spoke the Greek language. They, they had the Greek gods, but they, they, they still had a king. And so Philip II comes on the scene, and basically he decides he thinks Greece ought to be under one kingdom. And so he goes and he conquers Greece for the most part. Um, and in doing so, he unites them into what he called the Hellenistic League. And so it was his attempt to uh, continue Greece's tradition of the democracy and self-governance. But it was really like, you know, they all had their seat at the table, but they were all under Philip II. Now, Philip, he was very successful militarily, um, but through some pretty crazy circumstances, uh, he was assassinated. He was actually assassinated by a male lover that, for some reason, when he decided he was done with, he didn't exile. He decided to keep them, keep him around. So, uh, you know, and, and there's there's some there's a lot of history and a lot of stories and speculation about why this this male lover ended up assassinating Philip II. And one of them is that his son, Alexander, instigated it. And so Alexander comes to, to the throne and kind of decides to, to do what good leaders do, and that's unite his subjects, unite the people that he needs to uh, in order to cement his rule. Now, Alexander is a name you, you definitely know throughout history. His, we typically call him Alexander the Great. And what Alexander the Great did was not lose a battle ever, right? He comes in, he, he, he gets the throne of Macedon. Uh, he has the backing of all these, these Greek city-states. You know, they're under his rule. And one of the things he does is he decides to fight off Persia. Now, Persia is the enemy at the time. It's, they're the bad guys. You know, this is the same Persia that, that the movie 300, you know, the 300 Spartans, those, that, that's the same empire. They are Greeks, Greece's oldest enemy. And there's no better way for Alexander to cement his, his authority than to get everybody stirred up and angry at Persia again. And so he gets together this force and he decides to, to go at Persia. And in doing so, he ends up conquering most of the known world. Like Alexander is, is widely regarded as the greatest general of all time. It's hard to quantify that because typically they, they, they judge generals' abilities by their losses versus their wins. Alexander never lost, so we never really got to see what his weaknesses were. But a key to Alexander's way of doing things was, number one, he, he used the phalanx, um, and that was a unique Greek thing. Uh, and it's basically they just lined all the men up into a big, huge square, and they all had like 18, 19 foot long poles, spears, and they just created this wall of spears that was just immovable. Because the way wars and battles were fought back then was much more of a, a shoving match than it was hand to hand combat. Yes, hand to hand combat happened, absolutely. Uh, the Greek hoplites uh, were known throughout history, through this time in history, as being the most dominant soldier on the field. As a matter of fact, a lot of the battles 
that Alexander fought against the Persian Empire were fought against Greek hoplite mercenaries. It was actually Greeks versus Greeks, not Greeks versus Persians. Um, and so Alexander, he instigated this phalanx, this huge, massive brick of soldiers and spears. He used hoplites um, for his hand-to-hand skirmishing kind of stuff. He used, he used people who threw stuff and archers, that kind of stuff. Um, but the real key to Alexander's victories were his cavalry. Now, Alexander led his cavalry. He didn't stand in the back and command, as some generals did. He led his cavalry charges. And almost to the letter, he always charged early. Like, as the battle was getting set up, you know, there were rules and and kind of things that were expected. He almost always decided, you know, we're... I'm just going to charge now. Just let's let's do this. And so he would he would charge in, uh, early and before the enemy was set up. And his cavalry charges almost always won the day. And so he did that. And he was so feared by the cities uh, that he was conquering within the Persian Empire that most of them would just say, "Hey, you know what? This is yours. This is your emp- your city. We we we, we don't even want to fight." Uh, and that's and part of the reason that cities did that was number one, he was very successful in the battlefield, but number two, that cities that he came across that didn't surrender, uh, he would he would annihilate. He would he would be very very brutal. Um, and so Alexander goes through and he conquers pretty much all of Persia. He literally conquers from modern day Turkey, uh, Constantinople. It was Byzantium at the time all the way to modern-day India. As a matter of fact, there were Greek-speaking people in modern-day Afghanistan for centuries after Alexander. There were, there's Greek-speaking Indians. The, the, the first statue of Buddha was, was supposedly a Greek statue. Uh, the, the Greek culture that Alexander spread just was everywhere within the ancient world. And that was just, that was crazy. Alexander spread Greek culture everywhere he went. That's why there's so many Alexandrias throughout the, the world. It's because of this. Uh, he conquered Egypt. He conquered everywhere he went. And one of the places he went was modern-day Palestine, the nation of Israel. And Israel at the time was under Persian rule. And so the, the nation of Israel, uh, they, had, they had gained uh, some autonomy under, under the Persian Empire because despite what movies say, t- the Persians were very, very um, free about letting their, their subjects govern themselves as long as they stayed within the boundaries set, by the, set for them by the, the Persian government. And so the Persians were really, what, what they brought to the table as far as their impact on history was their administration. Right? Their, their way of ministering their empire was massive, massively different. It was, it was, the, it was very, very efficient uh, in the way they did things. And so the nation of Israel was finally allowed to have their religious freedom. You know, the Persians were very tolerant of that. They let them rebuild their temple. And in comes Alexander the Great, and he tries to make them Greek. That is what Alexander did. He went, and when he, and when he conquered a city... He instituted things like building projects. He, he instituted things like Greek languages. All the leaders of the city were Greeks for the most part. Um, he tried to intermarry uh, his generals and leaders with locals so that you know they would become Greek. Like His goal was to spread the Greek culture everywhere because the Greeks were really big on this idea. Right? There were Greek settlements all over uh, the ancient Mediterranean because they, they wanted to spread their culture. And that was a big motivator in why Alexander did what he did. And part of that, that spreading of Greek culture was, was you had groups within all these different cultures become what they called Hellenized. They would become like Greek 
in a sense. They would speak the Greek language. They would dress like the Greeks. They would eat the Greeks' food. Some of them would even worship the Greek gods. These would become Hellenized Jews. And that is the, who the Hellenists were that we read in Acts uh, at the beginning. The, the, these were Jews who decided to become Greek in a sense. Some of them still worshipped the Jewish God, but they spoke the Greek language. Uh, they, they wore the Greek clothing. They were Greek. Now, if after uh, Alexander had come through, Alexander died. Um, spoiler alert. Uh, he died at a very young age before he really got a chance to run his empire. Like He spent most of his adult life conquering the empire, but he never got a chance to truly run it. And so after he died, uh, the empire that he had conquered was split up amongst, um, amongst his generals, right? So you had, you know, the, the Egypt went to uh, the Ptolemies, you know, and that's, so, so Egypt for a long time, all the way well into uh, Rome's uh, expansion, uh, they were actually ruled by Greeks. So Cleopatra was actually Greek. She wasn't Egyptian. She was a, the last of the Ptolemy dynasty, but those were Greeks. And, and the top of Egyptian culture after Alexander were Greek, not Egyptians. Egyptians could only go up so high in that culture. And that was kind of the way it was in all these, these new kingdoms and empires that, that formed out of Alexander's after he died. So after Alexander and after the new empires that are set up, uh, Israel is underneath the rule of one of these Greek empires. And the, they're pushing Greek culture on the people. And so you had a, you had a tension there. You had a faction of, of Jewish hardliners, which is something that's, that's very characteristic of the Jews throughout history, is they want to hold to their culture and to their God, like bar none. That's part of the reason they came into conflict with so many different cultures throughout history is because they, they are very um, passionate about maintaining their own culture, their own identity, and worshiping their God the way that he commanded them to. And so in the midst of the struggle with, between the, the, the rulers who are trying to push them to become Greek and the, the old, old school traditionalists who are trying to push the Jewish identity, you have conflict. And eventually a guy named Maccabees um, and his family start a revolt. And the revolt is successful ultimately. They fight a guerrilla warfare against the, against the Greeks and, and they get their own government. They get their own little nation. They get Israel back. Um, and it's, it's all great. You know, if you read the, the Apocrypha or the Pseudepigrapha, there's, there's, there's Maccabees. There's a book called Maccabees in there. Uh, and that's supposed to be about, about the history of this time. So those are a good read. Uh, they're not Bible, but they're also not false. They're, 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 they're history books uh, about this, the Maccabees and the Maccabean Revolt. Uh, and um, so you have the, this Maccabean Revolt, which, which overthrows their, their Greek rulers. And there's an issue there. Um, there, start to, there starts to become an issue about who's in charge. Um, and that's when this, this, this little itty-bitty empire called Rome enters the scene. And Rome comes in and kind of manipulates things uh, to get the guy they back on the throne of Israel. And basically he becomes a puppet and lets Rome conquer Israel without having to fight a fight. Now granted, the, the Romans basically tried to do the same thing the Greeks did, just in a very different, ultimately much more successful way. Um, but what, what happened was Rome and Jerusalem, Israel, came into conflict and it did not end well there. Um, and that actually takes place after the New Testament ends. Um, but as far as what happened between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, 
that pretty much gets you up to speed. You know, you have the, the Persians lose Israel to the Greeks, to Alexander the Great. He dies and one of his generals takes over and the Israelites are able to successfully fight a guerrilla revolution against the, this Greek successor state to Alexander. And eventually, you know, the, they get overthrown through politics of, of Rome. And that's how they come under Roman rule. I hope this was helpful and informative. Um, if you have any questions, uh, please reach out to me. Um, if you're listening to the audio version, my email is down below in the show notes. If you're watching this on YouTube, uh, just leave a comment down below and I'll hopefully be able to get back to you quickly. Until next week.